We have a very special guest because we are bringing on Daniel Popper from The Athletic on today's episode to talk about the impact of Jim Harbaugh, what he liked from General Manager Joe Hortiz's press conference, and why he isn't freaking out about Greg Roman being the offensive coordinator. You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Lockdown Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade, joined as always by my co-host, David Drogmeyer. And we've been covering the Chargers together for eight seasons together, but this is our sixth year as the host of the Lockdown Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. Thank you to the everydayers for making us your first listen, especially so you don't miss big interviews like today's show. Make sure you're following and subscribing on the Lockdown Chargers YouTube channel and listening wherever you get your podcast from. We have Daniel Popper today, but this episode is Brought to you by Prize Picks because it is technically a crossover Thursday. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash lockdown NFL. Use the code all lowercase lockdown NFL for your first deposit match up to $100. Here he is, Daniel Popper. All right, guys, we are here with our very special guest, one of the guests of the offseason for sure. A very busy man and someone that is undoubtedly putting out the best Chargers written content out there. If there's one subscription to pay for, it's The Athletic, and it's specifically for Daniel Popper. And thank God Jim Harbaugh's here, because it means The Athletic has more of a reason to keep Daniel Popper in Los Angeles. So, Pop, thanks for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. I mean, you've been a busy man, so much going on, and obviously you have to start with the big man on campus now, Jim Harbaugh, and we are now in the Jim Harbaugh era of Chargers football, and the excitement surrounding the team has been palpable, but after their approach in years past, as far as the ownerships grow, as far as the ownership goes, how important do you think it is that they changed their philosophy a little bit this time around, spent the money, and got an accomplished coach like Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, I don't think it can be overstated you know like I think it's it's monumental and it signifies like a real shift in in how committed they are to winning and that's not to say they weren't committed before but but this offseason is as committed as I've ever seen them you know and I think when Jim Harbaugh went up there and said that you know Dean Spanos told him that he's starving to win like I I think that there's truth to that like I think that they look at where they're at in a very very difficult market the lack of any sustainable winning since they've been here. They're heading into their eighth season in Los Angeles, and they realize that they have to win in the playoffs and contend for a Super Bowl to really make any sort of mark in the market. And the opportunity isn't endless. Like The shelf life of making an impact here in Los Angeles is not endless. Like You will eventually come to that cliff where you can no longer influence young fans. And the time to do that is right now. And I think that they felt that sense of urgency. Um, and they went out and they and they got, in my opinion, the best coaching candidate on the market in, I would say, you know, one of, if not the most crazy and deepest, most impressive and deepest, you know, candidate pools that we've ever seen. You know, and I think that that said something as far as um, ownership, understanding what they have in the quarterback and Justin Herbert. And understanding that bringing in a coach with pedigree and a proven track record of winning to maximize him and and contend for a Super Bowl is what the fans want and what the fans deserve, frankly. 
Yeah, and I mean, to the Chargers' credit, they went out there and, and they interviewed a bunch of different head coaches. They really had an exhaustive search. But a big reason why things ended the way they did for Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco was the dysfunction between him and the general manager at the time, Trent, Trent Balky. With the Chargers hiring Jim Harbaugh, do you think it was crucial for them to pair him with a general manager like Joe Hortiz, who has a good relationship with him? Yeah, I, I think you saw all along in terms of who they were interviewing GM wise, that there was a, a trend there. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh was their top guy. They were going to do everything they could to get him. And so, you know, on the coaching side, they interviewed 15 candidates and the GM side, you saw a smaller pool. I think they ended up at about eight, eight requests. I don't even know if they finished eight interviews, but you saw those ties to Harbaugh and that was sort of the process. Um, you know, pairing him with somebody that he has familiarity with is important. And what we learned yesterday at Joe Hortiz's intro presser, is that they actually met in 1998 Crazy. when uh, wow. that was Hortiz's first season with the Ravens as a personnel assistant. Jim Harbaugh was the starting quarterback for the Ravens that season. Harbaugh invited Hortiz, as Hortiz told us, to go play racquetball <laughs> with him in the backup. <laughs> and uh, Jim Harbaugh was throwing a 22-year-old Joe Hortiz all over the racquetball court. Posterizing him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> physically moving him away from potential shots on the racquetball court. So – you know, the interesting part of it is that Hortiz met Jim Harbaugh before he met John Harbaugh, who obviously became the Ravens coach in 2008. Um, Hortiz had been with the organization for 26 years from 1998 until this year. Um, and so, you know, that familiarity with the whole Harbaugh family, I think, is really important. They, they go way back. And, you know, what Jim Harbaugh said at his press conference was that there's no one in the world I trust more than my brother. And John Harbaugh obviously spoke very, very highly of Joe Hortiz. So having that type of familiarity that pre-existing relationship it's hard to overstate like how important that is um you know because you know when you do have an arranged marriage when you have you know tom telesco and brandon staley two guys that don't really know each other obviously telesco is involved in the interview process um you know when they get together there's no guarantee that they're going to get along and they're going to have that um that kind of relationship and that kind of collaboration that you need and and so when joe hortiz sits, stands up there and says you know, the thing that I learned from Ozzie Newsom is that you need to have constant communication and collaboration. There's reason to believe that that's going to happen because you have that pre-existing relationship. Um, and, you know, Jim Harbaugh obviously has that respect for Joe Hortiz because his brother spoke so highly of him. So I think they put themselves in a really good position to sort of avoid anything like what happened in San Francisco and to really develop that type of collaborative environment that they were striving for when they entered the searches about a month ago. Yeah, and I think another important part of that will be ownership, you know, keeping up their side of the bargain, right? Continuing to pour those resources and continuing to give them everything they need to be successful. But I didn't make that connection, first of all, like, where are those two men? I'd never even thought about, hey, the Ravens as a starting quarterback. That was crazy. And thinking about them playing, you know, racquetball was hilarious to think about. But one of the things Joe Hortiz is attempting to do here, because that was an interesting thing to me was just like, this is a dude that was there for 26 years, right? As he said, he had other opportunities. He left for this job because it was the dream job, because he gets someone like Jim Harbaugh, and he has someone like Justin Herbert at quarterback. But as far as how he's going to build the Chargers into a winner and, you know, the Chargers having hope that they can finally have the winner and have that kind of hope that this regime can do that is how they're going to build a consistent winner in Los Angeles. And the one thing that Joe Hortiz could not stop himself from bringing up was the compensatory picks, which yeah. felt like kind of a loophole in the system that the Chargers just weren't taking advantage of. And, and it's a tricky thing because you have to have good enough players to leave, to go sign other places, to get those compensatory picks. But 
At the same time, how important do you think it is that the Chargers can capitalize that? And what benefits does that bring to a team if they can create this cycle, right, and get that going where they can get these extra chances in the draft? Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Like, I, you know, I had two big takeaways from the presser, and that was one of them. And a lot of people might look at it and be like, well, that seems like a small thing. But I think it's sort of indicative of a bigger shift, right? Like, you're, you're talking about a shift in philosophy in terms of how to build a team. And this is one really clear example of how that's going to change. And I went back and I looked through, you know, the comp picks from 2014 to 2024. And I'm using over the cap to project this year's uh, comp picks because those haven't officially been announced yet. That'll happen right. before the draft. And so comparing those those stints, which would be Telesco's entire tenure compared to the same amount of time with the Ravens, the Ravens over those 10 years had 23 comp picks, 16 of which would fell between the rounds three and five. <laughs> Insane. The Chargers had eight <laughs> total, yeah. eight total, two of which fell between rounds three and five. And so what you're talking about here is a big issue that a lot of Chargers fans bring up when they talk about Tom Telesco's tenure. Why wasn't the roster deeper? Why didn't the Chargers have the depth to weather injuries? Like the way that you do that is you have, you know, 15 more draft picks late rounds to use on young talent and keep supplying your roster and infusing your roster with young talent. Like that's where your depth comes from. That's, you know, 15 extra rookie deals that you have. And those are cheap players. And if you can hit on some of those, you're getting very talented players with production at very cheap salaries, right? That's really important to building out the depth of the roster. And it's not something that the chargers have taken advantage of. And so like, you know, obviously you want to re-sign, um, you know, your good players, right? But like at uh, certain times as well, you have to look at it and say like, is this guy worth re-signing in the context of getting a cat, of getting a comp pick, right? And you look at the guys that the Ravens have developed and then let walk, like Matthew Judon's been a great player, but they got a third round comp pick for him, you know, like Ben yeah. Powers, they drafted let him walk and sign a big contract with the Broncos. They're going to get a fourth round comp pick this year. Like that kind of thing never happened, right? Like the only third round comp pick the Chargers got during Telesco's tenure was Phillip Rivers. And that was obviously like a big, like seismic shift for the organization. It wasn't part yeah. of this like, you know, cycle of producing these comp picks. So I thought it was fascinating, not that he brought it up, but how quickly he brought it up and the question that was asked, right? I asked right. him a really general question, like, right. you know, what's your team building philosophy? And he's like, I love complics. That's like the first thing he said. Like that's going <laughs> to drive yeah. so much of the decision making. And then the next thing he said was, well, we got to churn the bottom of the roster. Player workouts is something he brought up. The Chargers under Telesco didn't didn't really, you know, find much value in player workouts because they relied on tape, you know, versus actually bringing players in. Well, yeah. in his first answer about what his philosophy is, he mentions player workouts. You know, and so I think you you have a clear vision for what it takes to build depth in the league, right? And like that's a huge that had been a huge issue with the Chargers under Tom Telesco, and that's why I thought it was so fascinating that he brought it up. We're going to get more into this with Daniel Popper, specifically about why he's not freaking out about Greg Roman's hiring as the offensive coordinator coming up right after this. First, though, I do need to tell you guys about Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? 
Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. Gone are the days of connecting your phone because Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. Nissan's incredible lineup also has the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. It has room for up to eight people, an expansive cargo capacity, and advanced available 4x4 capability with 284 horsepower and up to 6,000 pounds towing. When adventure calls, the Pathfinder is there to answer. Take the Nissan Rogue, the Nissan Pathfinder, or the Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. Yeah, I mean, one of the other things that, you know, you asked him about specifically was, you know, the plan of attack in the offseason. And he was clear that, you know, going to keep players that, that will help them win this year. What do you think about that statement uh, for how the Chargers will approach the huge cap hits that they'll, they'll have, like Bosa, Mack, Allen, and Williams? Yeah, so I laid out, like, all the different options in a story. I think that was last week. You know, I, I sort of, like, framed it as, like, there's a spectrum, right? There's the rip the band-aid off approach where you're just getting rid of all these guys and resetting the roster. And then there's, you know, I think I called it the keep the band together approach where you're just moving money into future seasons with various cap mechanisms to try and keep as many of these guys on the roster. I think they're going to end up falling somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know, like obviously Harbaugh has mentioned Keenan Allen specifically by name multiple times. So you can pretty much guarantee that he's going to be on the roster next year. Probably an extension. Keenan wants to be here, right? He wants to finish his career as a charger. Um, so there's going to be interest on both sides there. He's playing. He's still playing great. Yeah. Right, he's playing good enough football. Super he's still an elite yeah. player. So it's like. And and his game isn't going to age poorly. Like, he's very the way timeless. That he wins yeah. doesn't require like elite athleticism. He's never been like in the top five percent of athletes at the position. It's it's this, and then also how he moves and his his ability to change speeds, his route running, all that stuff. That stuff's going to age fine. And I think like a you know two even three year extensions makes sense. You know with the way that he played last year. Um, you know, and then, you know, the one guy that's probably not going to be back is Mike Williams. Like the way the cap is set up, like and his cap, it is, you know, Keenan and Mike have the two highest cap heads of any receivers in the league next year. It's crazy. It's untenable. And and with Mike coming off an ACL, like ultimately, I think he's the guy that's out. The, the biggest question comes down to Khalil and Joey. Um, you know, Joey has two years left on his contract. Khalil has one year left on his contract. They can do lots of different things, right? Like they could extend Khalil. They could add void years to Khalil's contract. They could also shop both of them and see what the, the market looks like. You know, my sense is that Joey Bosa will probably have the biggest market out of all of those guys. Interesting. Um, which is interesting. You know, obviously his biggest drawback is injuries. You know, he had a stretch, maybe a three, four game stretch before that Green, Green, Green Bay game where he sprained his foot, where he was playing some pretty damn good football and he yeah. looked like the Joey Bosa of old. So, you know, he's not quite 30 yet, right? Like there is, like there's probably a team out there that looks at it and says, you know, we know what this could be. And maybe we take a flyer on him with a third round pick. Like, you know, the money's obviously a factor, but um, so those are the two guys, but yeah, like, I think you end up, they'll probably end up falling somewhere in the middle. Now, you know, I respect Joe Ortiz's answer a lot, right? Like, but I don't think that's necessarily like a surefire sure. you know, explanation, right? Like, I don't think you can yeah. like, listen to that and be like, okay, they're definitely keeping everybody. Like, I think it, it's good that your GM is thinking that way, but he also added other clues. Like, you know, you, you got to manage the cap and you got to have flexibility and all that different stuff. And so, you know, a lot of it's what, what's the timeline here? Like, yeah. you know, Joe Ortiz can say that, but are they really trying to win 
a Super Bowl next year? Or are they looking at it with a longer view and saying like, hey, let's try and build this for 25. Like, let's be competitive next year. Absolutely. But let's also make some decisions now so that we set ourselves up in 2025 to have cap space and to have flexibility there. Um, so the timeline is going to be a huge factor. I ultimately think they're going to end up, you know, somewhere in the middle um, as far as, you know, how many of those four they end up keeping. Um, yeah. And we sort of see, you know, what the decisions are here in the next you know month or so. Yeah, I mean, I think it is Mac and Bosa is the, the most interesting one. And at least with Mac now, you feel like he probably has, uh, you know, a regime change that he could buy into, right, where he's not trying to leave to go chase rings or something like that. It feels like, you know, we'll see how he feels about Jim Harbaugh, but feels like he, he, they could keep him based on like, hey, we have something going here now. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays and out. he was but, incredible last year, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. he was so good. But yeah, and that's why I think probably some people would think that he would be the more attractive trade ship. Something you get off the books in one year can help you for a one year playoff run. The but age. at the same, yeah, the age, exactly. Like, and, like, you know, so a lot of teams would look at it and say, like, um, you know, what's our better bet here? You know, like making a bet on a 29 year old edge rusher or making a bet on a 33 year old edge rusher, you know, yeah. and on top of that, you're buying low for Joey, whereas. Yeah. That's true. Buying as high as possible right that's a good at, point you look at the history of guys in that age range that signed you know chandler jones von miller has it can really fall worked, off quickly yeah hasn't really worked out when teams have spent heavily on on aging edge rushers now yeah. like personally if you're asking me to project what i think khalil max going to be next season i think he's still going to be an elite player you know which is why like i i, I wouldn't necessarily hate the chargers keeping him yeah and i wouldn't really you know criticize the team for trading for him either but i think you're you know when you're a gm and you're making these decisions you're trying to give yourself the most upside possible um and and like i think you could look at those two players and say well we're buying low on a younger player who's had yeah. a production before and and maybe like you know take your chance on joey bosa versus you know you trade for khalil and you might extend him to give yourself some cap relief and then all of a sudden you know there's a huge decline i don't think that will happen but that would be the logic as far as why joey might have more value than khalil that makes a ton of sense to me. And I think if you, the Chargers could get trade value out of, you know, one of the four of those players where they might have to cut two of them anyways, I think that's a huge swing for them and also helps this new regime kind of stack up the draft picks to build it in their image. But the Chargers are also reportedly going to hire 49ers and Ravens offensive coordinator, formerly Greg Roman, which has some fans riding, of course, before the season even started. Like, you know, we, we talked about it immensely. And, you know, even though it might not have been our choice, you have to trust the Jim Harbaugh's vision. So is that kind of where, is it fair to be kind of concerned with the fit with him and Justin Herbert, or do you have to just trust what Jim Harbaugh's vision is for this offense? When's the last time the Chargers fan base collectively liked an offensive coordinator? That's a great question. <laughs> and we finally saw them all unify on one head coach, which was weird to see, but offensive coordinator, I'd say well, probably a, a decade like, plus. Like, like, let's talk about it. When's the, like, did, did fans love Shane Steichen? No. No. And guess what? He was a damn good coordinator. He was. Yeah, and he has shown that now. You know? Right. So, Agreed. So I think that Chargers fans are always going to hate the offensive coordinator. Period. Like, I don't think it's ever, you know? I, I think it's a little ridiculous sure. for, for fans to, like, at this stage, after getting Jim Harbaugh to all of a sudden pivot to, well, now the season's over because Greg Roman's calling plays. Right. No, of course. Like, here's where I fall on it, right? Like, I, and, I, and I said this on another podcast early in the week. Like I'm going to give Jim Shout Harbaugh out Chargers the unleashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give Jim Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt until I see otherwise, right? Yeah. And um, the other thing I'll say is a lot of people are pointing to the Ravens, and that's and that stretch that Greg Roman had there 
And I understand that there was like legitimate frustration over how he was scheming up the passing game and route combinations and all that stuff. I think that's legitimate. Yeah. But now you have a head coach in Jim Harbaugh, who's not John Harbaugh, right? John Harbaugh was a special teams defensive coach coming up. Jim Harbaugh was a quarterback. Yeah. 15 years in the league, offensive mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like the ideas for the system are coming from Jim Harbaugh. It's not That's a important. It's a good point. Harbaugh and you're bringing in Greg Roman. And you're giving him the keys to the offense. This totally. will be Jim Harbaugh's offense. Okay. Yeah. And obviously he's bringing in someone that he's familiar with. What I will add is that a lot of people are looking at the negatives with Greg Roman. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, like it's fair to look at both sides, but, but let's yeah. look at both sides. Right. I think yeah, there are right. some fair criticisms at the same time. This guy is one of the most respected run game schemers in the NFL full stop. Like no he question. will produce a good run game and chargers fans have seen what it looks like when Justin Herbert doesn't have a run game and have begged for him to have a running game. Right. Cause that's the other thing is they begged for better protection and begged for a better running game. And both of those things you get probably. Right. So, so I think like, let's like look at it in a balanced way. I think there are some fair criticisms. I also think that you're going to get a damn good run game. Okay. And where I stand on it is like, I'm going to wait and see. And like, if those issues pop up, Absolutely criticize them but like for now you know you just went out and got the best coaching candidate on the market a national champion like give him the benefit of the doubt let him build this thing the other thing is marcus brady all signs point to him being passing game coordinator go look at andrew luck stats in 2018 when marcus brady was the offensive coordinator for the colts okay 4600 yards 39 touchdown passes okay like the key with the greg roman hire was always who are they going to make passing game coordinator and how are they going to scheme the passing game so you have a guy that's a proven NFL coordinator to, who can build a prolific passing game. And the head coach is not John Harbaugh, special teams defensive coach. It's Jim Harbaugh, 15-year NFL quarterback, right? And I think yep. that changes the context around the Greg Roman hire. So I'm not sitting yep. here and saying, like, it's a fantastic hire. I'm just saying, let's give Jim Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt. Let's look at the full context of the situation. Let's be balanced about how we talk about it. And let's let them build this thing. And then we'll analyze it. Trust me, I will analyze it. Like anybody, yeah. yeah. Describes the athletic. We'll know. Like I tell the truth. Like, no doubt. I will show you what's going on. And if the offense sucks and they're limiting Justin Herbert, I will tell you that. And I will yeah. show you it on the film. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's get there. Let's get there first. And in my opinion, you went out and you got this fantastic coach with a proven track record. Let him build this thing and let's see what it looks like. All right. And then we'll analyze it when the time comes. Yeah, I feel like totally, that should get totally like a, a round of applause. That was that, fair, that was yeah. awesome. Fair, like, I feel like that's a fair way it to It is look very at it. fair. Well, and I'm yeah. just thinking about what your mentions have to look like and then how you're responding to that. And it's like, yeah, Daniel Popper's heard this one a, a couple of times. But I think the other thing, too, is like, hey, the quarterback's not Lamar Jackson. The quarterback's not Colin Kaepernick. The quarterback's Justin Herbert. So let's see yeah. what the Justin Herbert version of this offense like. Looks Jim Harbaugh like. wants to win. Okay. Yeah. He wants to win and he knows what he has in the quarterback. Like, I understand that there's been a lot of. Uh, worst case scenarios that have come to fruition for Chargers fans. But yeah. like I right Scar now, tissue. like I have at least a little bit of faith that Jim Harbaugh is going to look at what he has and Justin Herbert and maximize him. And it might be a different approach, right? Yeah. It might not be, let's make Justin Herbert the offense. It might be like, and I said this earlier this week, like it might be, Hey, like let's, let's make this as balanced as we can so that it doesn't have to be Justin Herbert all the time for the first time in his career. He's had yeah. to shoulder this organization for his entire career. He's never had a defense. He's never had a running game. Like, yeah. 
what does it look like when he has those things and the whole organization isn't just number 10 going out there and playing hero ball on every third and 10, fourth and 10. It's very exciting, but I don't yeah. think it's the best path towards winning. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the new offensive staff, uh, coaching staff also means a fresh start for 2023 first round pick Quentin Johnston. He has spoke about his excitement and hopes that he can break out. Do you think, you know, we could see him used much differently this year in a new offense? We have more great stuff with Daniel Popper coming up after this, including why he's pumping the brakes on a Quentin Johnston breakout and his thoughts on new defensive coordinator Jesse Minter. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in other retirement accounts with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is only good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info, claim as Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risks, including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of the first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to specific terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC, is a registered broker-dealer. Maybe. You know, I, I don't know, man. I'm not. I get it. Like, I think when they drafted him, they knew that he was going to be a developmental project, right? I think everybody knew that. Yeah. Um, I think we saw glimpses of him when he got the ball in his hands show why he was a first-round pick. Um, the problem is from what I've seen on film is that he doesn't have a full grasp about how to be deceptive as a receiver in the NFL. He doesn't fully grasp the nuances of playing the position. And I think it was made even more stark because he's lining up next to the guy that understands that stuff better than anyone in the league. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Right. Like Keenan Allen yeah. is nuance. He is deception. Like that is his game. And so you're watching two guys run routes one guy's doing it at the absolute top of the league and the other guy, you know, obviously has a lot of, of, of room to grow. Yeah. Um, the hands thing, it is what it is. Like it's, it was evident from day one of training camp and it continued through the season. Um, I'm not as worried about that as I am about how do, how do the chargers get Quentin Johnston to understand route running and nuance. A lot of this stuff that, yeah, you can teach it, but a lot of it is just feel. Right. Yeah. Like it's not like Keenan Allen. Um, you know, obviously he's learned a lot about football, but so much of how he plays is just feel. He understands leverage. He has such a feel for when to sit down, where to go on option routes, how to fool and deceive defensive backs. And like the one thing with Quentin Johnson is you see him run a route. DBs are very rarely fooled. They know exactly where he's going and they're not scared, you know? Right. And so, you know, I don't – I need to see it. Like, that's just yeah. basically where I'm at. It's the same thing with Greg Roman in the offense. Like, I'm not going to yeah. criticize it until I see it. What sure. I've seen from Quentin Johnston doesn't give me a lot of faith, and he has a lot of room to grow to get to a point where he can actually deceive defensive backs and win on routes. Now, he showed it. Like, there like there are some slant routes that you can go find on tape where he sets guys up. Like, he has the ability to do it. I just think it needs to be way more consistent, and I think he needs to spend a lot of time building out that part of his game so that he can start 
really deceiving defensive backs with how he releases off the line of scrimmage, with how he sets guys up, you know, how he breaks, you know, all of that different kind of stuff I think is going to be really important for Quentin Johnson. I don't think it's as much of a usage thing as yeah. it is like he needs to polish those parts of his game to to have a shot to be an NFL receiver. Yeah, that's really interesting because I do think a lot of people would think it is usage. It's the hands that are the biggest issue, but you do bring up something that I think is more pressing just as far as what his career is going to look like, being able to consistently just get open, consistently, you know, find the ways to help the offense as a true receiver, right? Not as a gadget player or something like that. But let's get you well, out. I'll, talking one about, more thing here, one more thing before we move on, because like I think I wrote about him early on in the year when they were really using him as like that deep field decoy guy. Right? Yeah. After the injuries, Mike went down, Palmer was out when he sort of became like, and then Keenan was hurt and he became like basically their number one option. By they default, were using yeah. him more on that stuff. Like they were trying to use him. Like, like think about that, um, that throw. I'm trying to think. I think it was the, the, the finale against the Broncos. They had him on a crossing route on mm-hmm. third down and Easton stick threw it right on him. And he dropped the ball because he was worried about getting hit by, yeah. by the linebacker. The I, think it was, mm-hmm. I think it was Josie Jewell. Right. And then Easton did not go back to him the rest of the game. You know, yeah. like that, like, like they tried to use him in those areas, but it's like, if you're a quarterback and you can't trust that your guy's going to go make a catch and take a hit, like that's a, that's a part of it too. Like, I, I think that like there, there was never really that trust factor with Justin Herbert. And then there was never really that trust factor with Easton stick. And so like, I think as the season progressed, they tried to use him in different ways to get him the ball, you know, even some of the screen stuff that they were doing with him. And so that's why I say, like, I don't think it's a lot of, I don't really think it's the usage stuff because they showed some of that stuff in the second half of the season. Like to me, it's the other stuff I was talking about. Yeah, no, I think that makes perfect sense. Let's get you out talking about Jesse Minter, the other coordinator. We talked about Greg Roman and he is a guy that, you know, just came off being one of, if not the best defensive coordinators in college football and is running a lot and a defense very similar to the Mike McDonald defense that we've seen dominate the NFL the last couple of seasons and, you know, get him to a head coaching job in Seattle. And I think a lot of fans can get excited about that. So when you're looking at this now that he has, you know, someone like Derwin James to use instead of like a Kyle Hamilton or someone like that, do you think this is something where with his vision, we could see an improvement in the Chargers defense this year? Or do you think it's kind of like with Brandon Staley where it's like, hey, he wanted to get his guys and it still never ended up being very good, but that he has to kind of get guys that more fit his defense? Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, we asked Joe Hortiz about this on Tuesday and he said, Joe Reedy of the AP actually asked him, which was a, it was a great question, and about like, you know, is there going to be a lot of turnover? Like, what, like you know, is there is there some cro- some crossover between, you know, the guys that were Staley's defense know, and now Staley's Minter's defense. defense. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And Hortiz said that like, you know, structurally it's not going to be too different, you know, like it is, right. it's going to be that, you know, like three, four type, you know, more of like a, you know, um, you know, two edge rushers, you know, two, two down inside linebackers. Yeah. Inside three linebackers, down linebackers, five DBs. Like, so, so the structurally it's pretty similar. And so, you know, I don't know if there's gonna be that much turnover as far as like what the scouts are looking for, in terms of traits, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, like versatile safeties do really well in this defense, right? I think we saw that with with how Kyle Hamilton played this year. Um, and so, you know, the key with Derwin is going to be like, how do you find that balance, right? Like, how do you how do you utilize his versatility without putting too much on his plate and still let him, him play fast? Yeah, yeah. And I think that was where Brandon Staley went wrong. Is and, and I don't blame him necessarily because you look at Derwin, you're like, wow, 
Look at everything that he can do. Yeah. He can play in the deep field. He can cover receivers one-on-one. He can play in the slot. He can blitz off the edge. Like he's, he can do so many things at a high level. The problem is when you start giving him six different positions and he's calling the defense and you're moving him all over the place on first, second, and third down, you know, are you getting the most out of him? And so that's really what I'm fascinated to see is like, okay, yeah, versatile safeties really fit into this scheme. But how do you find that balance with Derwin where, you know, you are taking advantage of the versatility, but you're also making sure that he's playing fast because his best trait is, is his physicality and his violence. Like that's, you know, that is, you know, that's how you get the most out of Derwin James is really feeding that aggression. Um, And then he can be a tone setter defensively if you, if you're able to draw that out of him. And I feel like he lost some of that you know, over the course of the Brandon Staley era. So like, that's the one player that obviously everyone's talking about. I think it makes a lot of sense. How does Derwin fit into this defense, but also how does Minter utilize him in a way where you get the most out of him, you know, and finding that balance where you're, where you're taking advantage of versatility, but also making sure that he's playing fast. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We had Chris Brown from ESPN on the show, and he had said, like, hey, you know, felt like Brandon Staley wanted to get his money's worth out of Derwin James and use him and do all the things he does best. But it also felt like, when they simplified things for him more towards the end of the season, that's when he was playing his best football. So how will he be used in Jesse Minter's defense is one of the things we're all excited about. We don't have time for the Ryan Ficken question, but we know you're a Ryan Ficken fan. So if they are able to keep him in this regime during this coaching, I got a good feeling. I got a good feeling. Okay, good. Yeah, good, good. So, that's what we were going to ask, but we do have to get Daniel Popper out of here, but we're all big Ryan Ficken stands. He has done the God, you know, the Lord's work, especially with Jay Harbaugh going to Seattle. Hopefully that means the special teams God, Ryan Ficken, will be sticking around, and that is a coup for them to be able to get Jim Harbaugh, keep Ryan Ficken, everything's going as good as possible. So, hey, be hopeful. Things are going well right now. Thank you to Daniel Popper for coming on the show today. Is there any work that you have coming up you want people to check out on The Athletic? Yeah, lots of stuff coming in The Athletic. I got a, a draft piece. Uh, coming Ooh. actually later this week that I knocked out with Nick Bumgarner, one of our draft writers, where we're looking at all the different scenarios in the first three rounds. So wide receiver at five, uh, tight end at five, tackle at five, trade down, working through those scenarios. Nick kind of added his draft expertise. I added my Chargers expertise, and we kind of comboed on that. I got free agent rankings coming out later this week. Nice. Uh, cooking up a feature on, on Jim Harbaugh. So lots of great stuff coming on the right. athletic. So make sure you uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. Next time we have you on, the first question, when do you sleep? Because I think Again. that's an important one. Yeah, I don't yeah. think Daniel Popper sleeps much. But <laughs> hey, support good writing. Support good written content. If you're going to subscribe to anything, I promise you, you're going to sign up for The Athletic and you're never going to regret that decision right it's a couple dollars a month and you're going to be getting the best chargers content out there in the written word it's such good stuff so many more in-depth breakdowns and then it's only going to get better because there's no one that does a more comprehensive coverage of the chargers training camp than daniel popper so thank you so much for coming on the show man we cannot wait to get you back on go subscribe to the athletic i usually ask i'm not asking i'm telling you go do it you won't regret it and we will have daniel popper on as soon as we can again but hey thank you so much for coming on appreciate you guys Thank you so much again to Daniel Popper. Make sure you guys are following him at Daniel R. Popper on Twitter and subscribing to The Athletic. I mean it. It's great stuff. And make sure you're back here tomorrow because it is Fan Mail Friday. So get your questions in at LockedOnLAC or call into the voicemail line at 323-524-7924 and get your 30-second Chargers question in there. And make sure to follow me and David at Dan Talk Sports and D- Drow Talk SD where his DMs are always open. Make sure you guys also subscribe and follow for free on the Lockdown Chargers YouTube channel so you never miss episodes like today's show and follow the podcast 
wherever you get your podcast from. But we'll be back with you guys tomorrow with Fan Mail Friday. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.